when you look at individual law firms and how they've thrived over the last two and a half years, when you look at the way that lawyers work has changed profoundly and for the better uh, over the last two and a half years, when you look at how even the courts responded to Zoom and embraced video technology to help continue the advancements of the delivery of justice. When you look at states like Arizona and Utah that are not only experiencing these pandemic factors and lockdowns, but also a pretty significant amount of regulatory reform happening over the course of the last two years, you see the legal system and legal outcomes for consumers actually getting better over this time period. Today on Law Next, at the 10th annual Clio Cloud Conference held in Nashville last week, I sat down with Clio founder and CEO Jack Newton for an in-person conversation about the conference, the company, and the concept he introduced in his keynote of the anti-fragile law firm, firms that not only survive, but thrive in the face of stressors such as the pandemic we have just been through. This is Bob Ambrogi, and you are listening to Law Next, the podcast that features the innovators and entrepreneurs who are driving what's next in law. Before we get to that conversation, let me take a moment to tell you about the sponsors whose generosity supports this podcast. ShareFile is a secure, easy-to-use collaboration and workflow solution that has helped more than 90,000 customers secure data, share files, and collaborate on documents. With ShareFile for Legal, you can eliminate the never-ending speed bumps during client collaboration giving your clients one tool to onboard, sign retainers, and share requested documents. It can also be easily integrated with popular workplace tools like Google Workspace, Salesforce, QuickBooks, Zapier, and more, bringing even more ease to the client experience. To learn more about how ShareFile for Legal can help you keep work flowing, go to sharefile.com. Why is LolliLaw the number one rated case management software for immigration law firms? It's simple to use and jam-packed with features that attorneys need to run their firms more efficiently. With more than 40 predefined case-specific workflows and unlimited customization, you can hit the ground running within minutes of signing up for LolliLaw. Access the most comprehensive immigration questionnaire database right at your fingertips, making client intake a breeze. Plus, questionnaires and forms can be translated to more languages than any other solution in the industry, meaning you can help more clients than ever before. See what else LolliLaw has to offer at lollylaw.com. That's L-O-L-L-Y dot com. Now let's get to that conversation with Jack Newton. And note that we recorded this on the conference floor, so there will be background noise. Welcome to Law Next. This is Bob Ambrogi. I am on the floor at the Clio Cloud Conference where I'm recording a series of interviews with some of the attendees and some of the uh, Clio staff and employees. And uh, I am very happy to be joined now by the founder and CEO of Clio, Jack Newton. Jack, welcome. Hey, it's great to be here again, Bob. It's great to be here again, right? It's, as you pointed out this morning, I think a little bit, one of, the, one of the few people who's been at all 10 of these things. Yes. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. Yes, it's an impressive track record that uh, 
is rare even among Clio staff now, Bob. So yeah. I'm, I'm in this, I think this is our maybe 10th annual interview. Yeah, it probably is. You know, not only that, but this is the 15th year since you started the company. You launched the product 14. 14 well, 14, but you launched, didn't you launch the company in 2007 and then bring the we, product we, out in 2008? We started working on Clio in 2007. Yeah. We officially incorporated the company on January 1st, oh, okay. 2008. All right. We launched the beta of Clio in March of 2008. Yeah and launched at, at ABA Tech Show, yep. and then officially launched the product <laughs> on October 1st at the Solo Small Firm Conference, the ABA Solo Small Firm Conference in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yeah. Uh, so that was the first year, so we're, we're celebrating 14 years of being live, at least in the marketplace this year. Yeah. How does that feel for you personally? I mean, 14 years ago you started this company, it was tilting at windmills, really, and nobody was. was talking about the cloud at that time. Four years later you start a conference when you've never done a conference, this has grown to become, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, to be solicitous of you, I've written that I think this is one of the best, if not the best, tech conferences in, in legal. Thank you. Uh, so, I mean, just, you know, obviously you're, you're the CEO, you're a founder, but just how does it feel personally to have done all this and accomplished all this? Well, it feels it feels pretty great in the sense. Uh, one of the the quotes I referenced in this morning's keynote was was Steve Jobs talking about wanting to make a dent in the universe, and you know when Ryan and I founded Clio back in two thousand and eight, we had no clue that it could become the kind of company it is today, but we were hoping we could help some solo small firm lawyers get their jobs done and do a better job of staying compliant with their bar association rules and regulations and being efficient while they, while they did it. And it was a pretty humble mission to start with and to, to look at the impact that we've managed to have over the last 14 years, the, the entire category of software that we've helped create and define and shape over the last 14 years, uh, it's, it's pretty energizing. And at, at, at lunch today, I was sitting next to a customer that asked me a similar question actually, you know, what, what keeps you ticking after, after 14 years? and how much longer do you think you're going to be doing this? And I, I told him, I, I, I said, I'm just absolutely energized by this work, and I feel like our work, even though we've made a lot of progress over the last 14 years, our work is still unfinished. There's still a lot of transformation to be done in this industry, uh, and as long as I get up in the morning excited for that, that mission to transform the legal experience for all, uh, I'm going to keep at it, and it, it feels really energizing and really exciting to me every day. Yeah, and, and it really is true, and again, this is something I've, I've written, I'm not just saying it because I'm sitting here with you, that you were played a significant role in the legal industry's adoption of cloud technology. I mean, you weren't the only cloud people out there, but, but your messaging around it, your uh, helping people understand and learn around it, uh, and just having a good product that people liked, um, really changed the landscape. We're, as we're sitting here today, the, 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 it, it, the Legal Trends Report that, that just came out that you were talking about this morning in your keynote demonstrates that the cloud is really making a difference in the right. practice of law right now. Yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's absolutely true that I think technology can change the world in a really positive way. And I think the legal industry is no exception to an industry that that was ripe for transformation in 2008. And we've seen now the effect of 14 years of transformation and how it made the, how, how cloud technology helped make the legal industry 
anti-fragile, the, one of the, the, the notions I talked about this morning. And I feel like coming out of the pandemic, there's no question in my mind that the legal industry is stronger, more resilient, and in fact, thriving after this, this extremely stressful event, which was the, the global pandemic and all of the, the, the macroeconomic factors we see layering on top of that right now, you know, somehow this is an industry that has adapted to wildly different circumstances and challenged some of the preconceived notions I think a lot of people have about lawyers and how, how rigid they are. Yeah. And, you know, you, you commented earlier about the fact that we, we not only did this crazy thing of launching a cloud-based product in 2008, but, but a few years later also did the crazy thing of launching a conference alongside that product. And, and one of my key insights in growing Clio over those first, those first five years or so was that just building a great product wasn't, wasn't enough. That if we were really gonna drive the adoption we wanted to see in the industry, we needed to be partners with the lawyers that were going through that journey. And one of the best ways to do that would, would be to create a, a conference that we actually started to build a movement around. And I, I think what you've had a firsthand perspective of over the last decade now is how that movement started with a very small kernel of 200 diehard believers in 2013 and, and cut to 2020 and we've got this group of 2,000 folks in person, 1,000 people virtually, probably another 100,000 lawyers that we're reaching through Twitter and the, the podcasts and, and all the other media that's happening around ClioCon. And really, people are picking their heads up and realizing there's a different way to practice law. There's a way to practice law that is more fulfilling, that makes them happier, that makes their clients happier, and that improves access to justice along the way. So it's, it's just this incredible win-win-win for lawyers, clients, and access to justice when lawyers understand how technology can help them yeah. and, and really embrace that and the mindset that goes along with, with really being innovative in legal. Yeah, well, I, I, I want to come back to the anti-fragility and, and some of the stuff you talked about this morning, but just while we're on this topic of kind of your 14 years now of, of development as a company, uh, you know, you weren't, you were one of the first cloud practice management products. You were the first to really go out there fully commercially. There have been a number of other cloud practice management products that have come along over the years. You know, by all accounts, you have the much greater market share than any of the other products out there. You've got this conference that has become a, a, a must-attend event for a lot of people. How do you think it is, why do you think it is that your, the Clio sort of developed along a different trajectory than some of the other products that are out there? Or is that even a fair question? Uh, well, I, I think it's a fair question. And like a lot of things, I, I think it comes down to a few pretty basic principles that can take you a really long, long way. Number one is we've been obsessed with our customers from day one, listening to our customers, iterating on the product rapidly, and building our product roadmap with a healthy combination of our customers' feedback helping drive that product ro roadmap, and my vision along with other leaders at Clio's visions for what the future of legal should look like. And you need to find this right balance between listening to your customers and, and the old Henry Ford quote that if I asked my customers what they wanted, they'd, they'd ask for faster horses. You need to incorporate customer feedback, but you also need to do a healthy amount of invention on behalf of your customers. 
And we've really tried to strike that, that fine balance. And I think we've been very successful at, at doing that. We, we give customers the product they need today. And if you look at our product roadmap and what we've done in a very iterative way over the last 14 years, we've pulled customers along this technology continuum where probably if any one of our customers that were with us back in 2008, 2009, 2010, if they looked at what they're using on a daily basis in Clio today, that they're using a smartphone app to communicate with their customers in real time, that they're using text messaging to collaborate with their customers, that they're scheduling appointments with customers that they've intaked online without ever meeting them or without ever taking a phone call. They would probably never believe that was possible, but we've taken them inchwise every year along the way on that journey to the point that they're, they're running completely transformed practices today. So I think it's that combination of a very clear, clear vision of where we want to be multiple years down in the future. How do we get the product there and how do we take our customers along with us in that journey? So there's the customer obsession, the innovation, and then like a lot of things, it comes down to execution. We just have a team that executes really, really well on all fronts. If you look at everything from the way we support our customers and what you hear about our customer success and customer support teams, if you look at the velocity that our product development team works at relative to any of our competitors, if you look at the way we're investing in security relative to any of our competitors, if you look at just the sheer amount of resources we have deployed into things like product development, we're, we're benefiting from this flywheel effect you see in a lot of software verticals and software industries where the biggest player starts with a little edge and then that, that edge compounds over time because you see a flywheel effect where more customers want to be on that platform because it's the most innovative platform, it's got the most resources and development behind it and you start to really, really pull ahead. That benefit accrues and amplifies over time to the point that it becomes very, very difficult for anyone else to, to catch up to what you're doing. So yeah. I think that execution and that flywheel effect is the, the second major tailwind we've, we've developed from. And finally, you know, I would say it's this community that we've built around the product. You have some of these conversations firsthand, I'm sure, but the, the people here at ClioCon, but more broadly, the, the 150,000 users we have around the world, are rabid fans of this company. Yeah. And they're our biggest advocates and our biggest competitive advantage because you know, the reality is that for most lawyers, if they run into a, a decisioning process and they need to decide what practice management platform they're going to use, they're going to ask five of their friends what they use. And if three of those friends come back and say, I'm using Clio and I love it, their decision's made right there. They probably don't do another ounce of research. That's, that's the trust they put in their recommendations from their peers. And we hear that every single day from new customers coming to our platform is that it was just recommended to them by someone else. Yeah, no, you really do feel it at this conference. And I, I after one of the conferences one year, I, you may not have liked it, but I, I called it the, the, the cult of innovation or something. <laughs> but there was this just feeling of a, uh, you know, cult probably isn't the right word, but it, but as you say, people who are just really committed. Well, I, I actually don't take offense to the term <laughs> good, cult good, either. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I think there's worse things than having a cult following for your product. Right, and, right. And actually, you know, interestingly enough, uh, but yeah, not just a cult following for the product, but a, 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 the people, it, it's not just about the product. No, it, a cult that, around yeah. innovation yes, and this exactly, movement. Exactly. This movement I was right. talking about, about visioning a, a better yeah. future yeah. for, for yeah. legal. And you know, interestingly, the, the etymology for, for cult is, is from culture, you know, and people feeling like they're part of a culture that is cohesive, that yeah. they belong to. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what you see at this conference, is the good kind of cult. Yeah. <laughs> the right. kind of cult that is forming around an idea that we can make our mark. 
we can make legal better and the world around us is changeable. Yeah. And the energy I hear from every attendee around this idea that we, we can do better yeah. and we can individually and collectively have an impact on, on that future is really energizing, I think, to all the attendees and, and especially, especially me. Yeah, no, absolutely. You put it better than I did. When I spoke with Newton, it was shortly after he had delivered a keynote address in which he introduced the concept of the anti-fragile law firm based on the theory of anti-fragility developed by Nassim Nicholas Taleb in his book, Anti-Fragile, that certain systems have the ability to thrive in the face of high-impact stressors and shocks. When we return to Law Next, I ask Newton what he means by this and how a firm can become anti-fragile. But first, let's take a moment to hear about the sponsors who make this podcast possible. Whether you're reuniting families or securing work visas, filling immigration paperwork correctly the first time is crucial for any immigration firm. That's why Lolly Law gives you access to the most expansive set of USCIS, DOJ, and EOIR forms in the market and ensures that they are updated within an hour of their release. Lalila also offers users the widest range of payment options in the industry, including robust schedule of payment plans and payments via SMS and QR code. Learn why Lalila is the number one rated solution for immigration law firms at lalila.com. Welcome back to Law Next and to a special edition recorded in person at the Clio Cloud Conference in Nashville. As I said before the break, in his keynote, my guest Jack Newton introduced the concept of the anti-fragile law firm, a firm that can thrive even in the face of stressors such as the pandemic. As we return, I asked him to expand on that concept and talk about how a law firm can become anti-fragile. So this morning in your keynote, you introduced this concept of, well, you didn't introduce the concept, you introduced it to legal, perhaps, the concept of anti-fragility. Yes. Um, so what are you talking about there? How, can you explain what that means? So anti-fragility, as you, as you pointed out, this is not a concept I invented. This is a concept that I was really inspired by that was uh, developed by Taleb. And Taleb, in, number one, introduced this, this concept of black swan events. He wrote one of his first popular books was, was The Black Swan. And these are rare events that have large and unanticipated impacts, like the, the great financial crisis and like COVID-19. And, and what he observed while he was writing The Black Swan and, and doing some of the research for The Black Swan was this pattern that there's certain companies, certain kinds of entities, certain individuals that came out of these very high impact, very negative events in a lot of ways, but actually emerged from them stronger than when they, they entered them. And the question he asked you know, in, the, in this book, and I, I think this book in, in many ways is a, a culmination of his life's research into these kinds of patterns and kind of events, is, is really a simple idea, which is we need a word for things that are the opposite of fragile. If you think about a fragile system and one that collapses with the slightest of provocations, and on the flip side, think about systems that thrive and actually benefit from exposure to stressors. The answer to that question is, what is a word for the opposite of fragile? 
is anti-fragile. And in rereading his book, it was something I'd read back, you know, it's a, it's a 10 year old book, so it's not a, a brand new concept by any stretch. But in just thinking about the events of the last two and a half years and reflecting on the fact that I really feel like the legal system as a whole showed it was anti-fragile in a lot of ways over the course of the last two and a half years. And certainly not in every place, but when you look at individual law firms and how they've thrived over the last two and a half years, when you look at the way that lawyers work has changed profoundly and for the better uh, over the last two and a half years, when you look at how even the courts responded to Zoom and embraced video technology to, to help continue the advancements of the delivery of justice. Uh, when you look at states like Arizona and Utah that are not only experiencing these pandemic factors and lockdowns, but, but also a pretty significant amount of regulatory reform happening over the course of the last two years, you, you see the legal system and legal outcomes for consumers actually getting better over this time period. And so this notion of anti-fragility and, and what it could mean for law firms to think about in a more deliberate way. You know, n number one, it's a concept that most lawyers, most law firms have not heard of. So th I think embracing this idea that anti-fragility is a positive trait that law firms can have if they design the way they operate the right way, if they embrace the right kind of technologies, and if they embrace the right kind of mindsets, they can enter the kind of very uncertain future that we're facing over the next five years with war and inflationary environments and uh, a looming recession if we're not already in one. You know, and, and again, volatility is the only constant right now. Right. Uh, they can enter this kind of environment confident that their mindset and the way they're embracing everything from technology to flexibility in the way they employ their, their staff, for example, can really be a game changer for them and a significant competitive advantage where they can, they can really increase the odds that they're one of these law firms that emerges from the next downturn stronger than when they entered it. Yeah. So it was a concept that really, really fascinated with, with me. And when I, again, I've got a, a bunch of great thought partners that I work with at, yeah. at Clio to bounce these ideas off of. And as, as I started you know, building on this theme, people, uh, they, they got a lot of energy around it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the feedback I've heard following the keynote this morning is this resonated with a lot of a lot of lawyers it yeah. was very uh, well and the evidence is there i mean there, the evidence is there that as, that as you say that during this most stressful of times we could have ever been through it seems like uh, there were a number of firms that thrived not not by thriving off of the bad things that were happening or or by exploiting the bad things that were happening but because they were well positioned to adapt and and move forward. Exactly. And there were other films firms that just weren't there. And uh, exactly. So is that? I think you made reference this morning to. I think you said you're creating a, a anti-fragility toolkit or something along those right. lines, or book or something. Uh, ebook maybe is coming out. So, is so we have an ebook that's available right now that that goes a bit deeper into these yeah. concepts. Uh, my, my keynote for anyone that missed the live version this yeah. morning, we're, we're going to have on YouTube yeah. shortly. So there's a few resources we're, yeah. we're putting out there to, to just elaborate on this idea of the, the anti-fragile yeah. law firm. But is this something a law firm can become, can intentionally become? Is this something inherent in law practice or do you have to try and... Is it, a, is it a mindset? Is, is it a, a business organization? I mean, how does a law firm become anti-fragile if, yeah. it's, if it's not? It's, it's a great question. And it's, it's something that you can certainly evolve how you're operating and change how you're operating to improve how anti-fragile you are as a law firm. 
Uh, and that's everything from the, the technologies you're using to the, the mindset you're using as you grow your law firm. So to use an example around technology, if you're, if you're still a law firm with uh, a bricks and mortar law office, all of your files as paper files that are in big filing cabinets chewing up all of your hallway space, and if your lawyers are still tracking time with pen and paper and yellow legal pads are the way that you track case progress, you are fragile. And you're the kind of law firm that, you know, when COVID struck and you got locked out of your building and you couldn't leave your house, you cratered because you were rigid. And the minute you had to change your business model or the way that you operated as a law firm, you shattered. On the other extreme, we see law firms that, number one, set themselves up for adaptability. And that's really at the heart of one of the key ideas around anti-fragility is you, you need to be able to adapt. And you need to position yourself so when you get exposed to one of these stressors, whether it's global pandemic, whether it's a global recession, whether it's a highly inflationary environment, whether it's a tight labor market, whatever one of these stresses are, you can be creative and you can innovate and you can adapt so that you're one of the firms that can actually find a way to not only survive, but thrive in this new environment. And again, firms that are rigid, firms that are, have very clearly laid out SOPs for every single thing that they do in their law firm, uh, are, are maybe heavily linked to pen and paper and manual processes. These are firms that are, are very fragile. So we lay out in this in this ebook some of the both tools and technologies and mindsets that uh, that can help a firm become anti-fragile and position themselves to emerge from the next downturn stronger than when they, they entered it. Yeah. You also this morning alluded to three fundamental pillars of an anti-fragile firm of connection, creativity, and technology. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Those are really the core pillars that I, I, I think are crucial to a law firm embracing and understanding to evolve how they practice. And it, it, it's everything from the culture you're creating at your law firm to, which is very soft and, and qualitative, that's a hard thing to, to define specifically, to the technology you're using. And are, are you embracing cloud-based technologies, for example, to, to enable you to rapidly adapt to a new work environment? Yeah. Um, I talked to, actually, earlier today, talked to Joshua Lennon, who did a lot of work on the Legal Trends Report this year, and we talked about that. And the Legal Trends Report, again, as you talked about in your keynote this morning, shows in a lot of ways underscores what you've been talking about, which is that a lot of firms have been able to thrive and do better, and that overall the market is actually up over last year. Is it over last year or two years ago? Yeah, over yeah last year. up over the last year um, and a half, dramatically. Do you, do you have any sense of why, what's your take on why that is? Why is the market up right now? And is there any possibility that this is just sort of a temporary bounce back after the pandemic and things are going to move backward again next right. year or over the next couple of years or something? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I think what we've seen at some level is, and I, I talked about this over the course of the pandemic, is we're seeing a backlog of legal demand being created. Yeah. And that as soon as that valve is, is released, we're going to see a lot of back pressure. Right. We're going to see a lot of pent up demand that needs to be caught up to. And yeah. I, I think and that's, that's happening. Now. That's happening. Yeah. That's happening. And now what is very difficult to do and what a lot of companies have gotten wrong to their own ultimate demise in some cases is they've gotten wrong what is a sustained and permanent change in demand and what is transitory and we've seen companies like Shopify for example make very big bets that the kind of surge in demand they saw over the course of COVID was going to be a sustained and permanent change we saw Peloton make exactly the same mistake right. as well 
And both of these companies have been hammered in the, the stock market recently, down 80 plus percent year over year because they got this bet wrong. And the, the term you keep hearing financial analysts talk about is this, this idea that there's always regression to the mean. Anytime you see these surge in demands, unless there's a structural change that is driving a sustained change in demand, you're gonna see a regression to the mean. And Shopify has seen that, Peloton has seen that. And I think it's a question lawyers should be asking, is this just gonna regress to the mean and go back to pre-pandemic levels? And if, I think if we look, at least at the cautionary tales that are out there, we can be hopeful that there's a more sustained change in demand, but we should be checking that, uh, checking that against the fact that you know, we need to ask ourselves the question, is there a structural change in the demand for legal services? And without you know, a hypothesis as to why that might be, I think we need to assume this is, this is pent up demand that will, you know, if I had to forecast what the 2023 legal trends report might tell us, I could anticipate a regression to the mean and a, a return to those Q4 2019 benchmarks yeah. uh, in terms of baseline performance that I could imagine a return to. Yeah, I mean, so many of the things that we've been talking about as perhaps forever changed, like the, the hybrid office or, or the demise of the brick and mortar office, you know, now we are starting to see more lawyers go back into the office. And I, I, you know, I, one of your findings, I think, was that lawyers are kind of evenly divided on, on that issue, but that work-life balance is perhaps more of a factor right. for lawyers in, in pursuing their careers than in the past. Although I don't think you've actually tracked that data around that in the no, past. I, this is the first year you've really looked at that. This is the first year data. we've asked this specific question. So unfortunately, we don't have a, a longitudinal take. But I think what feels true to most people is that this work-life balance and the work environment you're choosing is more important than it's ever been. Yeah. And I think what's also changed is that, and, and this, is, this is objectively true, the amount of variability you see in the work environments that different law firms are offering has changed dramatically. If we look at the way law firms operated in 2019, it was a pretty homogenous approach to how you practice law. It was in offices, with really demanding hours and an expectation that you're, if you're working, your butt's in the seat at the office. And that was, there were certainly exceptions to that rule, but that was how most law firms operated in, in 2019. Cut to 2022, and I think what you, you see is that now law firms are essentially competing with each other on the, on the, the work model they're presenting to employees. And this has really become a philosophical argument that I, th I think we're in the midst of the most grand experiment in the, the history of civilization on how work gets done. Yeah. And this is happening in every field, whether it's technology companies or law firms, competing for what is the best way for work to get done. And, and, and workers basically voting with their feet, saying, I believe in in-person in office work, they're gonna go join a firm that's doing that. I believe in working from home exclusively, they'll find a firm that does that, or I believe in a hybrid world that's somewhere in between. And you really see those different work models outlined in the Legal Trends Report. And what's very, very clear is though, although there has been a, a, a regression toward the mean in terms of what the world of work looks like for lawyers, it is permanently changed, I believe, from what it looked like pre-pandemic. We're going to see some law offices go back to full-time in the office, pre-pandemic norms, but we're going to see a lot of variability, a lot of hybrid approaches, a lot of remote approaches where, uh, again, it's, it's, it's exciting in the sense this is the most grand and extensive experiment in how work gets done since the Industrial Revolution and, and Henry Ford invented the assembly line. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I'm, I'm watching the clock, and I imagine people are going to swoop down and take you away from me any minute here. <laughs> uh, but I, I, you know, you made a lot of a product announcements this morning, and I, I probably don't have time to go through all of those. And I've written about them on my blog, and hopefully people will read my blog. Uh, but I did want to ask about about payments, just because last year you guys launched Clio Payments. This right. year you launched uh, announced a number of enhancements to that. I'm, I'm just kind of curious on, on on your thoughts on the sort of the importance of electronic payments for law practice management right now, because there's just been so much activity around the payments issue in the broader landscape of, of legal practice management companies. We saw LawPay acquire my case. Other companies, you know. Uh, have uh, launched their own e-payments uh, systems. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on how critical that is to law practice right now and what it means. Well, it's a pretty essential part of the the technology ecosystem for a law firm. In the sense, this is payments is about getting paid. Yeah. You know, to state the obvious, and getting paid is is oxygen. You know, this is this is how your law firm yeah. survives. And what legal practice management providers over the last 10 years, and this is one of the things that's changed in the time since we founded Clio, the world of payments has moved from a world where when we started Clio, people were printing out paper invoices, folding them, stuffing them into envelopes, licking a stamp, sending them to their clients and hoping a check would come back in the mail in, in one or two or three months. Yeah. And, and what's changed dramatically over the course of the last 14 years is a you know, a shift toward embracing online payments to lawyers understanding that accepting credit cards is not tacky. It is, yeah. it is not, yeah. you know, something to, yeah. to look as, as belittling yeah. your firm's reputation. This, right. is, this is how clients want to pay you. Right. We're not going to the cloud. We're not going to take credit cards. It, it, we're not going to the cloud. We're not. So, so that, you know, that, that is the fragile group of law firms yeah. that may still be limping along. But most law firms realize that this is the future. And yeah. this, this is the, if we want to get paid in an effortless way, and why wouldn't you want to make it easy for your clients to pay in an effortless yeah. way, this needs to be going electronic. Yeah. Now the second part of the equation is, payments is a really natural extension of the billing workflow in practice management software. If you're already sending the client the bill, why not include the payment link in that bill? And uh, not to mention owning payments is also lucrative for legal practice management providers in the sense there's there's an opportunity to, to make money off of that payments volume. So it's an incremental revenue opportunity that delivers real value to your clients. And, and so I think the dynamic you've seen play out over the, the marketplace over the last you know, few years is practice management providers have realized to deliver the best client experience and the most integrated product offering, they need to deliver payments themselves to their customers. So you've seen basically every provider over the course of the last three or four years make that move. And in turn, I think you've seen a number of payments providers realize that this is a rapidly eroding their future prospects yeah. because without the control point of legal practice management software, without being the operating system in the law firm, you have a very dim future uh, yeah. a ahead of you. So yeah. I, I think when you look at the, the calculus that suggests in terms of what, what moves you need to see on the chessboard, yeah. you know, over yeah. the it basically tells you yeah. exactly what has played out over the last two years. Yeah. Uh, why each of those those moves has happened? Yeah, I keep hearing a rumor that you guys were going to try to buy law pay or negotiated to buy law pay and it fell apart at the eleventh hour or something. Any truth to that? No, no comment. <laughs> okay, uh, they just gave me the two minute uh, warning here. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to ask. Uh, 
I, I mean, in, in the two minutes that you have ahead, you know, you've talked often about wanting to build the ecosystem for, for law practice and the ecosystem of law. What, what's missing from the ecosystem? What, what, what are we going to be hearing about next year or what, what are you looking forward to over the next couple of years? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I think when we look at the, the progress we've made over the last decade, law firms now understand that the cloud is kind of table stakes. You know, like the, the idea that law practice management is in the cloud, as you pointed out to me our, our first few minutes, you know, the idea that you pr your LPM's in the cloud, that was controversial 14 years ago. Like 10 years ago. Even right. 10 years ago, even five years ago. <laughs> you know, there, there may still be a track at some conferences. In about, 2019 you know, it, it was still controversial. Is, is, it, is it safe and ethical to put my data in the cloud? Hopefully that's an answered question today. Yeah. I, I think the, the really exciting transformation that we're in the midst of right now is how do we bring every step of that client journey to the cloud? When legal demand is starting with a Google search, how do we connect every point of that customer's journey through the legal ecosystem from start to finish with a cloud experience that sings, that makes it frictionless, makes them rave about what a positive experience they had with their lawyer thanks to this seamless experience. And really, really, I, I think if we do a good job of executing on that roadmap, we'll help transform the way lawyers do their work, we'll help more clients access legal services, we'll help lawyers be more successful, we'll see better legal outcomes for, for clients, and we'll, we'll improve access to justice. So, that, that's what's ahead. I've probably just laid out, you know, another decade worth of work there, yeah. but taking every one of those, every one of those touch points into the cloud, thinking not just about cloud-based LPM, but truly the cloud-based law firm that from end to end is working with its clients in the cloud, I think is a very compelling and inspiring vision to be pursuing for the next few years. Yeah. Well, Jack, I know you're super busy here and I really appreciate you taking all this time to speak with me. Uh, it's always a pleasure and uh, congratulations on 10 years of ClioCon and 14 years of Clio. And Thank you. And congratulations on... I look to on the 20th. <laughs> congratulations <laughs> on, on making it to 10 ClioCons. Here's to 10 more. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's see. Let's hope I make it that, that 10 more. But great. Thanks, Bob. Thanks to Jack Newton for sitting down with me during the Clio Cloud Conference. I really appreciated his time at a very busy time for him. What are your thoughts on today's show? Share them by tweeting us at LawNext Podcast. LawNext is produced, engineered, and edited by Populous Radio. I'm your host, Bob Ambrogi. I hope you'll join us again next time for another episode of LawNext. Next.